connecting to the AOC Podcast Network. Enjoy your stay. Hello, everyone. I'm Christy, and I'm here with the rest of the AOC gang. And we're back with another episode of Mind on Media Conscious Conversations, where we're always increasing the dialogue around relevant media literacy topics and challenging you to think critically about the realm of media as you or I know it. Um, We're also really excited today to have with us our good buddy, Ian Ozane from KPL Radio, who is a longstanding member, producer, and friend of AOC. So welcome, Ian. Uh, Like Ed was mentioning a little bit earlier that um, all the conversation today is completely fair game. So feel free to jump in anytime and just contribute your opinions and your expertise. Beautiful. This sounds good. And I also want to, I'll turn my camera over here. Bernie, uh, Bernie AOC. Bernadette Lee is here with me as uh, as well. So at some point, I may wrangle you in here. We're talking about journalism today. So at some point I may wrangle you in here to answer some questions if, uh, if they come up. Okay. Hi, Matt. <laughs> I'm like I'm waving hi to everybody. But I haven't seen Matt in like forever. I know it's been a long time. <laughs> Even okay, better. Well. Can't I wait to hear you. Y'all are still at the station. Y'all are supposed to be off the air, and that means you're home drinking tequila by ten fifteen. What's going uh, on? Not yet. Bernie usually gets in about four thirty. I typically get here about three thirty. This morning I didn't roll in until about. 4.15-ish, because one of my cats decided to sneak into my closet when I wasn't looking. So I closed the closet door, and then make matters worse, I left my cell phone at home. So I ran back, got the phone off the dresser, and as I'm in my bedroom, I hear, and so I'm scratching at a door. It's like, I'll be damned. So I went, opened the closet door, and they scattered out. And uh, yeah, that was my morning. So no, not home, uh, not home drinking tequila yet. You're going to go home to cat food closet, but let's move along here. Uh, <laughs> bringing it back to journalism. Uh, does anybody have a comment that starts this thing off? Because I've got a bit of an attitude about uh, public thinking, what journalism is and what is happening and passing for journalism. And how Absolutely. Um, I kind of wanted to, for this episode, sort of just shape um, journalism, speaking about it as it relates to the local community of Lafayette, um, but as well as within our um, society at large. So the conversation today will really just be shaped around what it means and also what it takes to be a good journalist in the modern age of the Internet and social media. So um, one of the ways that I really like to kick things off is to um, help really put out there the sort of the bare bones, basic understanding of the topic at hand for any viewers who might just be unformed on exactly what journalism is. So um, if you guys kind of want to jump in or even just sum it up in layman's terms for our viewers, um, how exactly would you define journalism? Perhaps um, a a definition or words that come to mind to help some of our viewers out. Fact-finding. That's the first thing that comes to mind because that's what journalism is in its essence, is digging through the weeds of, of our environment and finding the facts of the matter. And unfortunately, I think there are a lot of people who forget that. They think journalism is designed to reinforce their worldview. That is not the point of journalism. Journalism is really and truly the liberal arts version of the scientific method. 
you find your hypothesis, then you lay out the research to find whether or not that hypothesis can be backed up. And then your results are the facts that you find and that is what you report. If your hypothesis is right, then great. If your hypothesis is completely wrong, then so be it. That is what the facts bear out. Journalism is fact finding, trying to find the most accurate version of the truth at that particular time. Plain and simple. Everybody with an, a mouthpiece or a microphone or a printing press is not a journalist. That's correct. That's part of our problem on the on the outside, consumers don't know the difference between a guy sitting in front of a chroma key uh, city screen behind a desk with a microphone. Who's a news person? Who's a journalist? Who's a repeater of what they've already heard? Who's a lion sack of poo poo? <laughs> Uh, and actually, I, I wanted to follow up on that, Ian, and ask um, for consumers how, because like Ed's saying, anybody can get in front of a green screen, anybody can put on a suit and a tie and get on camera and present things as though they're facts. Is there any any advice you might give to, to journalism consumers on how to assess what's when someone's giving them facts and when they're they're sort of not? First and foremost, consider the source. Consider the source. Is it someone who is reputable? Is it someone that, I don't want to use the word learn it, but it is someone that knows what he or she is talking about and is backing up the information with facts? Is it original reporting? Or as you mentioned, is it repetition? Is it regurgitation? And when I say a reputable source, I'm not including CNN or MSNBC or Fox News. Cable news right now is regurgitation. It is 90% opinion. And unfortunately, people think because it has news in the name or in the case of MSNBC has NBC in the name, they think that you can take it and run with it. That's not necessarily the case. The people you want to trust are your local print journalists, your local broadcast journalists, whether that's radio or television, the people that are going out in the field and doing independent reporting. Uh, I had Mayor President Josh Guillory the other day said, it's nice to have someone here covering what we do. And somebody jokingly said, jokingly told me, you can cover council meetings by watching it on AOC. But by not being in that chamber, if something pops off in the last three council meetings I've been there, something has happened that has changed the entire arc of what I'm focusing on. If I'm not there, I can't get the sound. I can't talk to the people. Yes, I can take the feed, get the audio off the web stream, but I can't get the comments in the moment or after the fact from, say, for example, a Harold Scheffler or Tommy Gilbo about why they disagree with this retention pond project on Homewood Drive. I can't get reaction to those comments from Josh Guillory in real time. That's the beauty of journalism is that you are there, you're doing it in real time, and that you're able to find that information. You're able to get it and not relying on someone else to give it to you. Um, I'm biting my tongue just a little bit. Um, I know you are. Yeah, well, it's the idea that so many people, even in local journalism, and thank goodness for those who do report, and, and there we do have some real reporters, but so much of local journalism has become repeaters and talking heads, um, and it's, to me, the problem is that it confuses the consumer. They don't know who's being real and who's not. What with local- yeah, but you're not talking about local journalism. You're talking about corporate takeover of local instruments. Well, that's that true. we once considered journalism. What's up, yeah. Jakey Poon? Hey, true. Ian. Good to hear from you, man. Good to hear from you, you too. take back over. Now, going back to what Jake is saying here, uh, there's a little bit to both. Now, in terms of local journalism, when you look at your print, when you look at TV especially, I'll leave uh, the radio uh, side of it because Bernie and I are the two. We do our thing. We're the two who are doing it because right now with budget constraints, 
between us and Brandon Coma, I have to, uh, I can't leave him out. There are only three of us who are able to work and do reporting here at KPEL. But in terms of television and especially print, the biggest problem is, is what Jake said, is that corporations come in, they buy these uh, places out, and yet they don't pay people to stay either in the market or in the business. You look at, and let's use KLFY and KATC as an example. You've got reporters there who are making maybe $32,000 a year, if that. I don't know what KLFY is paying now, but 10 years ago when I worked there, they were paying reporters $23,000 a year. I you couldn't even buy ramen noodles on that. And, and that's part of the problem. People will come here for two years. They'll get their feet wet, leave to go somewhere where they make money. And you don't have institutional knowledge. You don't have people who know the area. And because of that, the quality of journalism here suffers. You have to have institutional knowledge as well as the desire to get the information. Ian, I'm paying most of these guys under 20000 a year right now, so you just gave them an idea to head to the newspaper, man. Be chill about it. <laughs> <laughs> you're paying jobs. You know, but you're also a nonprofit organization, so there's that. Good save. Good save. Uh, <laughs> I want to go back to the, to the argument that real journalism is a fading, uh, vastly rapidly fading uh, thing, and it's largely because of corporate takeover, and I, I don't have a solution for it, but I think people that are watching programs like this need to become aware, uh, and we, we emphasize this in every program, and you said the word yourself, the original reporting as opposed to yes. repeating reporting. How many people have repeated it before it got to you? News is like the telephone game, the polar game where you tell the story and it goes through all, that's what the news is, and it's impossible for it to come from the original source to the recipient without some sort of filtration or some sort of bias, but it ought to have the journalistic code of ethics applied to it. There should be some vetting, there should be some both sides, some of that stuff. And we're not getting that. And it's becoming virtually impossible now to do the first thing, make money, and the second thing, stick to the code. The code doesn't pay. It just doesn't. The the richest media people in the world are all biased in one way or the other now. They don't even pretend to be non-biased. But I think the issue with that is is more on the national level. When you look at local, the issue isn't necessarily are we regurgitating versus reporting original fact. I think the bigger issue in local journalism is the inexperience of the people that we have, especially in television. You get people straight out of college. In some cases, they're greener than the chroma key wall behind Joe. In some cases, they want to learn, but it takes some time to learn. And then let's face it, you've got some people who are there just because they want to be on TV. They don't necessarily care about the journalism part. They're just there to be there. So you have to fight all of that. And as someone who, as a former executive producer, and as someone who has had to manage a newsroom, you have to battle all of that. And when you're already short staff on the management side, when you have when you don't have many people to, to look over, you have a news director, an EP, you have anchors, some days it'll get you through. But if you've got a full complement of reporters working on a good day, then you're rushing to get through and say, OK, did we do this? Do we do this? Do we do this? So there are days where we have to battle all of that and then look at the story and say, OK, is there enough here? Did they do enough work or do we have to kill this? and go back to the drawing board. And there have been stories that we have killed because the reporter did not do the right, uh, did not do the right work, did not find the right people, did not get uh, the number of perspectives that were needed for the story. And that's something that we as editors have to do and have to make sure that we're protecting our brand and protecting our integrity. We cannot allow a reporter to kill that force. So we're battling youth inexperience, in some cases, the don't wants and the don't cares. And 
All while battling that, we have to make sure that we're safeguarding our product. Well, in in addition to that, and I bring this up because I want to tell an awesome story about Ian that made me admire him a hundred times more than I admired him before. Um, you've you've got a battle with an audience that may have uh, battle with an audience is the wrong term, but you've got to cater to an already audience that may not have those journalistic ethics in mind and may want stories reported. I watched Ian have a conversation with a viewer one day where the viewer was grilling him on why they told a certain story. Because uh, the viewer didn't like the story. He didn't like the, I guess, what the story was saying. And Ian talked to this guy for a long time where I, I would have walked away saying like, oh, come on, man, you can't be serious. But Ian, Ian graciously talked to this viewer for a long time, tried to explain to him something about journalistic ethics and the reason that certain stories are reported in spite of the fact that he as a as a consumer as an audience member a potential eyeball for advertisers was saying he didn't like the product right and that's something that 99 percent of our audience in television and radio doesn't understand they don't understand the part of why we cover the story they just think oh you're attacking such and such a person not necessarily i'll use an example the pat mcgee situation that just happened I've known Pat for a long time. I consider Pat a friend. It's unfortunate what happened, but it's something that has to be reported. It's something that has to be covered. It's something we can't shy away from. Uh, I forget which particular story this was. I remember the episode of 124 East Main you're referring to where the person called in and we went on and on for almost a half hour discussing a particular story as to why we covered it. And that's where being... Uh, a sports official helps because you have to talk coaches off the ledge and explain this is why we made this calling. This is what the rule says. This is what we do. And the same thing with journalism, with uh, journalism and our ethics, we have to explain that. No, this is not a hit piece. No, we ran this story because X, Y, Z, we gave this person an opportunity to speak, whether or not they returned our phone calls is not our problem, but we have to run the story because it is important and I think in this case, it was a story about government. It affects you, your taxpayer dollars, and also affects how your city or parish in this case is governed. So you have to explain it sometimes. Some of them get it. Some of them don't. You'll have the people who go on the Facebook page and say, I'll never watch you again. And then two days later, they're bitching and moaning about something else on the Facebook page. So it's it's a take and a give. I don't expect everybody to like what we do. I don't expect everybody to like what anybody reports. But it, it, that comes with the territory. And I knew when I got into this, doing this, especially local media, sometimes can be a thankless job because people want to hear what they want to hear. And when we don't deliver that, then I can't help that. All I can help is that we deliver the best version of the truth that is available at that uh, given time. Okay, you know, I got a question. Well, I think... Oh, sorry, Ed. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, well, I was going to say, uh, when we've talked on past shows, we've talked a lot about how media consumers approach the landscape of news. Uh, and I don't think that a lot of times consumers don't understand uh, the unstructured data that you guys deal with as, you know, the journalists deal with in general in order to report a story and not only do they not un when when faced with that same data they don't understand how to structure it properly because it's all over the place and unstructured but then even if they do manage to get that data put together they're unaware that they then now have to verify its authenticity i like that uh, phrase like steps within steps you know 
I like that phrase you use, unstructured data, and it's the perfect word to describe what we work with on a day-to-day basis in terms of news gathering, whether it's a tip on the phone, whether we're looking through court documents or whatever the case might be. It's all unstructured, and when you do structure it, when you're able to go through, put the pieces together, sometimes once it's structured, you realize, I don't have a story here. There's nothing. And then when you tell them that there's really nothing here because X, Y, Z, they get mad because they want you to do that story. But they, they, the, this is a separate question, and it relates a little bit to your history without naming names. Mm-hmm. Since you got out of college, what has been your journalistic um, training? Did, did the manager of one of the stations you worked at ever sit down and say, journalism around here means this, this, and this? Or do you pledge to the um, SJA, whatever it is, society? Do you subscribe to their code of ethics? Um Outside of your personal integrity, what influences made you be a journalist and not a reporter? Second question first about SPJ. Yes, I I have their list somewhere hiding here on the desk. It's up there. I keep that. And if there's a question, I use it. Uh, going Going back to the first question, though, learning this is all trial by fire. I did some freelance stuff, freelance writing and freelance radio when I was in college. But when I moved back, I knew I wanted to get into TV, but I wanted to report. When I got hired at KLFY, there were only producer positions, which actually worked out better because I got to learn under Darla Montgomery, got to learn under Chuck Huebner, under Blue Rolfus, uh, with Zach Prudham, who's now an executive producer in Tampa, I think. He just moved from Las Vegas where he was EP and is now in uh, somewhere in, the, in Florida. I think Tampa it is. And I got to learn from them. And they didn't necessarily sit me down and say, this is what journalism is. You watch them and you learn. And this is something I tell kids who are coming out of college, because one of the things that I see is kids who get into TV don't necessarily watch television news, especially local news anymore. I I filled in for Scott Brasda doing one of his classes about a year ago before the pandemic started. And I asked the kids, how many of you watch local TV news? None of them raised their hands. So I asked them, why are you here? And the first kid who raised her hand said, I want to be on E-Network and be an entertainment reporter. How how can you get to E exclamation point channel if you don't know the basics of journalism and work and work your way low and then and then go up? There's a disconnect there. And and I think part of it is when people see television journalists, they think glamour. They think it's rich. I I had a kindergartner once ask me, do you live in a mansion and drive a Porsche? No, kid. I live in an apartment and I drive a Nissan Sentra. I've at least upgraded to an Ultima since then. But I think part of it is people think there's glamour involved and they don't necessarily care about the the journalistic ethos. But I got a chance to learn from some good people when I was at KLFY. When Letitia pushed me over to KTC, I learned a ton from her, from Hoyt Harris, Marcel Fontenot, later on from Jim Hummel, but especially from Letitia herself. And Letitia is not a traditional teacher. She is one who is scatterbrained. She's all over the place. I say that lovingly, T. And... But with the various lessons that as they came, and even though they were very informal for the most part, I learned a ton from her as to why we don't cover certain stories, why we go after certain stories, how to do public records requests, how to look up documents, and especially how to get information without having to rely on public information officers or government officials. How how do you go around and get those court documents if someone says we can't get them to you? And the beauty of it is there are a ton of ways you can, a ton of uh, online resources where you can find court cases, especially here in Lafayette, where you don't have to call the clerk court and wait a day for them to pull the file. 
everything's online and that makes life easy. So if something comes up, someone says, hey, such and such and such is going on in court, log into the system, find it, boom, there it is. And that allows me to break the story. If it's in a court document, it's factual. You can have it. Just make sure you're not convicting anyone. Use your allegedly according to court documents, what have you. But I think that's the biggest lesson I learned is how to go around the official line to get the information when it, when they may or may not be accessible. And, and that is happening in Lafayette for real. That if, if and you're an anomaly, Ian, you're not, I don't think of you as being in the normal media type around Lafayette. You've, you got more going on than most of them do. They want to be on TV. They got to fill a minute and 28 seconds. They don't really care how. It's encouraging to hear you say that at least in the, the management structure that y'all do stick to a journalistic attitude in that side of the building, as opposed to it's just going to make the diocese mad. Maybe we shouldn't say it. Uh, maybe the motorcycle shop will pull ads if we talk about this. Uh, that kind of stuff, I'm glad to hear you're saying it. I pray that it's true everywhere. Um, I can't guarantee everywhere only because different newsrooms have different leadership and with different leadership, you have different ethos. I know what we did across the street. I know it is. I know what Bernie and I and Brandon do on a day-to-day basis. It's that we're looking for that version of the truth. We are not going to sacrifice our integrity for the sake of protecting someone who might get pissed off at us. Encouraging. And I think a a lot of the information that you're throwing at us today, Ian, um, I'm sure that the viewers will definitely appreciate that. Um, I just speaking to some of your points, I think I definitely see whenever I do visit and some of my coworkers as well visit some of the university and the local schools that there's a big interest in people wanting to be journalists. But um, I'm glad that you're giving the audience a a taste of the process and just how much goes into the actual craft. And that's actually one of the questions I was looking up and and trying to find prompts is there was a Google question, can anyone be a journalist? And I kind of feel that, exactly, I do feel that. um, Go ahead, I'm sorry. You can also be a pilot if you want to. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of feel like the the tools, the information, we're in such a hyper-connected world that it's so available to people that um, it it feels like it it is attainable, but there, as you mentioned, there's just a lot more involved in it that we've really got to ensure that um, journalists are taking the process, the necessary steps to be good at their uh, craft. And that's Um, the thing. There's anybody can be a journalist. There's a nine or 10 year old. I forget where in the United States, it's either California, Illinois, it's somewhere far flung. A nine year old who rankled the who rankled the local police department because this kid requested public in public documents filed a public records request and the police said no you're too young they took him to court and the kid won so so there there are examples of citizen journalism where it's true journalism working on the street and if for some people they think why would this kid be but that's a life but that turns into a lifelong craft Jeff, Jeff Landry's going to meet that kid. Matt, you had something going. Uh, well, so I think we're we're getting close to a wrap up time because, as everyone knows, we're in a TLDR society. So, in that spirit, Ian, I'd mm-hmm. like to ask, and I'm sorry to put you on the spot. If it is, we'll we'll just no. cut it out. But if you had like the top two or three ethical concerns of journalists, thing that things that new journalists can take with them that are like you know as short as possible to keep in mind when they're attempting to find facts, what, what, what would those top two things be? Consider your sources, consider who you're talking to. 
and consider your own personal relationships with those sources. And this is something that I have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. I'm from here. I'm more connected in this area than AT&T. So when I talk to people, I have to understand, okay, they're giving me a tip, but I cannot run with it necessarily because I may trust them, but I still have to vet the information. So that's the first one. Keep your relationships and your own biases in check. You always have to make sure that what you are fed is accurate and is uh, and is completely correct. If there's a second one, a second pitfall to journalism, and this goes for anyone, whether it's print, television, radio, make sure that you don't become too big for your britches. Don't let your ego get too big. You are not so big that everything revolves around you. At the end, this is this is a job. And for some of us, it puts us in the public light, but it's also a community service. We cannot allow our egos to get in the way. And I've seen that destroy a ton of people who've gotten in this industry. A lot of them on the television side. Here you are. And here I am. Uh, but that, that may be number two is don't let your ego get in the way of the work that you were supposed to do. I think those are good uh, warnings for the average conscious news consumer as well to consider your sources and no matter what to not, you know, convert your ideology irrevocably just because today you heard something that tomorrow might be amended. Well, and not to, not to boil down what you said, uh, too much Ian because what you're saying is very important but to, if I if I could take the liberty to boil down your three points into three buzzwords it sounds like you're saying uh, accuracy impartiality accountability yes that's very much so and patience well Ian uh, before we sign off now that you've told me this you're no longer worth anything to me uh, <laughs> my friendship cannot manipulate you into reporting what I want reported. We're going to have to part ways. Well, um, uh, you still owe me coffee before we do. So this whole integrity thing is just rankling my whole purpose in life. Well, here's the thing, and and building on that though, and here's the part with this, and you all know as well as I do, having been in this in Lafayette forever, that it's a lot about who you know. Yes, you have to vet the information. And if there's a fourth point I can use, use the sources, use the people you know to get that information. Because having sources and having connections is better than not having any. So you're using me when we have coffee, not vice versa. I've had it backwards the whole time. No, it's it's a mutual give and take. Maybe we can be friends. And I don't think we can cite you as a source. That I don't. Ian's got some integrity, Vicky. <laughs> <laughs> that leaves me out. Okay, this is Ian. Most most definitely want to thank you. Uh, and there's an open invitation. We try to do these on Thursday, but sometimes they're on Friday. But uh, uh, you can get a text and join anytime you can. The topics are always going to be generally in this broadly defined area of making people smarter consumers and creators of their content. And, Perfect. Uh, thanks for being here. I'm going to get Christy. Unless everybody, somebody oh, else. Before we, before we go, if I may do this, because I haven't said this in a long time, the producer of this program is solely responsible for its content. <laughs> Perfect insert. <laughs>
Thank you so much, Ian, for joining us. And we definitely love to have you back for other topics in the future. Um, you're such a resource to our community. So uh, we thank you for that. And thank you to the, the full ASC staff for joining in the conversation and the viewers at home for watching uh, another episode of Conscious Conversations. As always, you can find more information for all things media literacy and media production on our website, aocinc.org. We hope that you join us again for our next episode. Goodbye for now.